Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add-ons like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Unitanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Great beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. I'm jet propelled at all times. (laughs) How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example. And this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think that's bullshit. (laughs) I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. No. We're going to teabag fight. You heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five? Now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers, craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. All right, welcome to The Session, everybody. It's a Monday night in foggy Oakley, California. Uh, It's been foggy all day, and I don't know why. I feel like uh, the winter solstice is really making its, uh, taking its stand here. The age of Aquarius is ushering in. uh, I'm trying to say. How's everybody? You should be at Berkeley right now. It's clear. Oh, man. It's been foggy. We've been socked in with fog all day. It's very weird. I've never had this all day. I I like it. I mean, what am I going to do? If you would have had some butter rice, you would have been better off. Yeah. (laughs) It's not going to limit my driving visibility. So I think I'm I'm okay. Well, anyway, we're joined here by Sully, of course. Hey. The uh, the elder statesman of the (laughs) world. Welcome, everybody. Remember me from the 1990s. (laughs) I opened a little craft brewery in 2000. Never heard of it. And we're also joined by our guest today, Joe Kestelut from Peace Tree Brewing. Uh, Joe, what's going on, man? How's it going? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. I appreciate it. No problem. Where's your, uh, your brewery located, my friend? We are in Knoxville, Iowa, so we are about 30 miles southeast of Des Moines, so pretty central in the state for the most part. Hey, how do you pronounce that? Is Des Moines or is it just Des Moines? Just Des Moines. Okay. <laughs> it's not plural. I got that out of the way because I would have done the whole show like Des Moines and I would have gotten hate meal from Iowa. Des Mo- it's not Des Moines, Sean. Right. Do people say that? I feel like Des Moines isn't, isn't a thing. I didn't, oh. I didn't yes hand you, Sully, and I'm sorry. I apologize. I just, I just, just Sully says it. (laughs) (laughs) There is a a certain point where, where a certain age that you hit where you start adding extra letters to words, like wash. I got to do washing. We're in Washington. 
Uh, I know my grandma said that a lot too. Maybe it's like a Midwest thing. I don't know. I think it's a Midwest East Coast thing. Worshing, washing, yeah. worshing. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, there you go. Now you know, Sully. It's not Des Moines. Or it's not Des Moines. It's Des Moines. Des Moines. See? And I appreciate it. <laughs> now you're stuck. Is this the big debate in Iowa? Is this like a thing? Like uh, just how to pronounce the local names? Or do you guys have like a, a culture going on over there? What's, what's happening in Iowa? What's cracking in Iowa, man? Uh, uh, as far as name goes, no, I don't think there's a big know. debate on that here, but <laughs> apparently there is in San Francisco. Yeah, well, yeah that's all know. we talk about. We can't stop talking about that in COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, man, I'm uh, I'm about ready to to I'm I'm done with it. I'm done with it, man. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Like uh, on my other show on uh, Ears Up Podcast, you can find out all about that. We're going live tomorrow doing some uh, Disney news, as a matter of fact. But anyway, um, every friggin' news article is about COVID this and COVID that, and it's just, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired of I thought you were like, done talking about Des Moines versus Des Moines. Um, I'm done with that too, man. <laughs> I'm done with that too. Uh, Joe, so tell me your story, man. How did you get involved in brewing? Uh, what's your what's your background like, man? Let's let's dig into you a little bit. All right, uh, you know, after after I graduated at Iowa State, I kind of moved back home to uh, Chicagoland area, um, suburbs of Chicago. Okay. And uh, one day, my dad's like, "Hey, um, my guy I work with homebrews. He's like, he invited us over. Do you want to go?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah. Who doesn't want to learn how to brew, right?" <laughs> yeah, right. So, so he went over there and uh, he did, you know, two variations. He did, he did an all grain brew and he did uh, just an extract brew. So we did two brews at the same time. This guy's uh, super nice we, because that is the most yeah. annoying shit to like think about is doing two different. I mean, you have to, yeah, you're, you're scatterbrained like the whole day. Yeah, man. Why would they, why would this person do that? <laughs> I don't know. It was amazing. He was, he was a pretty amazing guy. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty awesome experience, and he let me, you know, kind of jump in and help mash in. And oh yeah, let do you all those do all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, he let you do and, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's free labor, folks. That's what we like to call that. Yeah, hey, come yeah. watch me homebrew. You might as well like. Uh, is is there another industry that lets you do that? Like, you wouldn't go. Yeah, come join me on the IKEA assembly line. Help me, help me do this, or come clean my house. You, watch me clean so my house. You're so willing to do it too. I mean, I was in the same boat. Like, really? I mean, she wasn't the home brewing part, but it was like pro brewing part. Like at Triple Rock, I was like, yeah, I was like, I mean, I can do this for free for <laughs> nine months before you give me a job. Yeah, have you do ever grained out before? <laughs> do I pay you or what? I don't know. Yeah, it is. It is funny, like how excited you get with that kind of. Like, I remember my first time home brewing. It was just on the stove with an extract batch, and it's like. I get to stir the water, yeah, and then that's you know that's it, and you just drink beer. Was that basically like that? At least you had the all grain to sort of did, pull you, you know, in, right? It, I was I was so impressed with the all grain. Like yeah. literally the next day, I went out and bought all grain equipment. Really, like I, 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 I did, I did one. I will. I'm not. I'm gonna. I did do one extract to start off. Okay. To see yeah. how fermentation went. Right. And then I went into all grain right after that. I just jumped. Look at you, stud. Well, I appreciate you not lying to us because we would find out. That's <laughs> <laughs> what we do. We figure out what the hell you're talking about. Well, what was the uh, what were the beers that you made at this guy's place? Um, I believe. God, I can't even remember. I believe one of them was pale ale. 
and I can't remember what the other one. The all grain one was a pale ale of some sort, yeah. but I can't remember what the extract was. It's probably just extract um, and water. You're just trying to show yeah. off. <laughs> this is back like I think in 2000. Okay. I'm going to guess it's a porter or a stout or something like that. Yeah, it has maybe. to be. In Chicago area, you know, come on. You're not doing West Coast IPAs. So, all right, so you get your all-grain equipment. What's the first batch that you run through on that? I actually did a stout, actually. Everybody remembers. Stout. Everybody well remembers. Done. Yeah. And I, I completely failed on it. It was like a five-gallon batch, and I bought this cooler, and I didn't have a false bottom for it. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe if I just put it in some pantyhose, you know, and just put the grain in there. It'll, you know, I'll be able to separate it out somehow. Yep. And it was just a complete nightmare. Sure. You know, I got, I got like maybe like two gallons of wort out of it Ugh. and uh, fermented that and bottle conditioned it. And it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but it had but nice legs. <laughs> had legs. <laughs> the alcohol <laughs> term to the night. Anyway. Um, I got it. Thanks. Did you think about giving up? Because I would have thrown that shit across the room, dude. There's no, there'd be no <laughs> stopping. You would have gone back and cursed your buddy who got you into this thing. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> give me my it. money back. This sucks. Yeah. No, it didn't come with pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was hooked. I, I immediately brewed another batch, probably like a, not even a week later, and uh, I was brewing like every other weekend. See, um, I th- I think that like your first your first interactions in home brewing sort of sets you up whether you're going to go into professional brewing or not. I really do because like me, I've never I had zero interest in ever doing it for a career because my first six batches were contaminated. I had stuck ferment and stuck mash and do I was like miserable doing it. Um, but I think if you have a good maybe a good takeoff, then you're sort of in love with the process rather than the outcome. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Sure. I just made that up too. That's why I never got into painting. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I because I sucked at it. I couldn't paint a tree. I was like, I'm done with this. I can't do this. So <laughs> Alice likes painting. Growing. Come over when once you get vaccinated, Sully. Come over and we'll paint. You can paint with Alice. She'll recharge your. Uh, okay. She'll reinvigorate you. As I'll be, far I'll as be like Alice. This is like way better than what I'm doing. What's going on? You set me up, JP. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so all right. So you're you're an all grain brewer now. Suddenly, where's that? You got your all grain brewer badge. You're you're off to the races. Yeah, you learned the symbol, the the hand signs. You met your wife, had kids because of that. How long does it take you to to sort of realize you want to do this for a living? You know, I I homebrewed for about three years or so. Okay, and uh, and that's when I decided, you know, hey, how do how do I do this professionally? And uh, so then at that point, I started researching the different you know brewing schools at that time. You know, there was Siebel Institute in Chicago. Um, there was UC Davis. And then there was the American Brewers Guild. And I was able to get into the American Brewers Guild. I, I want to say Chicago was full. And I don't know. I think I just picked uh, American Brewers Guild over UC Davis at the time. Okay. And um, I did the program when it was it was in Vermont that year. Um, that was in 2004. I went to brewing school. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was an awesome experience. You know, they, they give you all the books beforehand and, you know, they all came in like, all right, read all these books before we even start. And I remember reading them all. I'm like, Oh my God, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> um, but, uh, was but, just- you know, I had a little bit of a science background, so it, it, and I was super, super into it. And so it, it, it kind of came naturally once class started. 
and uh, it, it was it was awesome experience. In two thousand four, what were the the courses geared more towards? I, ha- I had a friend. I mean, I still have a friend. He's still alive. Um, who who took the uh, classes at American Brewers Guild? But I think it was in the late. 90s. I don't remember. Anyway, but he was saying that a lot of the, the course material was sort of ge- geared for larger breweries. Were were you finding that any sort of like hands-on training was like, well, this isn't the the giant, you know, uh, gy- gyroscopic thing that I was reading about in this manual. This is a hand pump. The, the one cool <laughs> thing about that program at the time is they offered an apprenticeship. Okay. And so I did an apprenticeship at... Um, Ram Brew Pub in Chicago, outside mm-hmm. of Chicago. And that was a fantastic experience. You know, you you read about brewing, you start studying about, you know, the microbiology on it, um, the engineering aspect of it. Um, but until you actually get into a brewery is when you really realize, you know, how it how it all works and operates. Yeah. And that was that really was helpful for me um, going into it. And uh, it just put uh, put all that stuff I read about together. And it, it just it just was a great program back in 2004, and I still think it is. Um, looking back at it, it still all applies. That's good. Yeah, that that's good because you what you don't want to do is be like woefully over prepared. <laughs> I think for something like we've had people on the show before, brewers and such who who say like when I hire an assistant or someone in the brew house, I don't want them to have an education. I don't want them to have a brewing. I don't want them to go to brewing school. Not many, but some do um, because. I don't want to have to unlearn all of the weird habits that they've learned like there. Like this is the way I do it. There is, and this was, I don't know, mid 2008, 2010, maybe, I don't know. I haven't heard it for a while, but I think there maybe there was a disconnect there between brewing school and actual like on the ground applications in small, small breweries. Well, I I would agree with that actually, you know, having hired brewers before, I mean, their education is good. um, But you, you know, oftentimes you need somebody to come in and hit the ground running and you want somebody to be able to perform and feel comfortable in a brewing environment. And if they'd only gone to brewing school, sometimes it's a little bit of a hindrance because you, you want that experience. You want somebody who's, you know, is comfortable around pumps, pressure, temperature, and all that stuff. Um, So I definitely look for any candidate to have, you know, uh, some brewing experience uh, somewhere. So, yeah, well, it makes sense now, especially. And schooling is great too because you know then they come like with preloaded software. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, let me see all the books that you use. Let me learn a thing. <laughs> and oftentimes, that's actually because I did go to brewing school way back in the day, in the '40s when everything the planet was run on coal. Yeah. No, uh, and I, you know, it, it's actually nice when you get folks who uh, brewers have come in who've been to school recently because they actually can teach you a thing or two and you have to be open to that because you forget stuff, you know, especially as you said earlier, a man of my advancing age. So, uh, you know, I, uh, you you need a little bit of a refresher course and they provide that free of charge. That's good. Well, you have to pay them still, but anyway, you get the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So you've done your apprenticeship. You, You went to school. Where, where do you land after that? So after that, so I'm in the Chicagoland area and back in, 2004, 2005, there weren't a ton of breweries in Chicago back then. There was a few brew pubs, you know, Goose Island was around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I threw my resume out to all those places and nobody was really hiring at the time. And so I had to go out of state, started looking out of state and uh, found myself landing in uh, Cold Spring, Minnesota. And oh, uh, <laughs> We've heard of that place before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And back at the time, it was it was a huge facility. Um I'm like, this will be great. What a great experience this will be. You know, they do sodas, they do uh, energy drinks, they do beer. Um, 
you know, it's got everything. So, you know, I packed my bags and my wife and I jumped in the car, took our son and moved to Cold Spring, Minnesota. Wow. You just moved. We flat out moved, sold my house and. Wow. Had you visited the brewery before that, before you took the job? I did, you know, for the, just, well, I mean, for the interview, you know, I went out there and. (laughs) No, before the interview, he was moving. He was like, no, I know I'm going to get this thing. I'm kidding, and I'm kidding, folks from Cold Spring, but because um, <laughs> we brewed at Cold Spring since 2008, this is where I met Joe. So this yeah. is where our story, this is where like our worlds intersect. That's right. They were partner it, brewing with you, right? Or yeah, we you. were. Yes. They were a partner brewer uh, when right. we first started like brewing out of state, and it's an old lager brewery. It's definitely has its challenges, and uh, you know when you see it for the first time, you're like, oh, okay, uh, and you kind of get into it, and you realize the you know it's not like when you're used to seeing like. So anyway, I don't want to. So Cold Spring Brewery is what Joe. It's a town of about less than like three thousand people, about yeah. an hour and a half outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. And um, this is a huge brewery there, and they, they definitely, it's a, it's an older brewery, and it's, uh, it's <laughs> it, it has some challenges. Just it's say not it, like man. When, it's not like when you walk into a brewery and you see like you know you know conical stainless fermenters. It's like they're bread box fermenters, epoxy lined, and. Yeah. You know, you there's a pasteurizer on board there <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> At least back then. Now it's completely changed. I mean, now it's a state of the art brewery, but yes. back then it was definitely a challenge. Okay, all right. We're, we're... It, I would say it was intimidating going in, though. You know, it's it was it was such a big facility walking in for your first job. Yeah. And uh, besides having that small apprenticeship, you know, walking in walking in the brew house and looking at a 300 barrel kettle sitting in front of you. It was pretty intimidating at first. <laughs> Did you feel prepared? Like, uh, you know, this is a little daunting, but I could do it. Or were you like, I don't know what I'm doing right now. I I felt pretty good. You know, yeah. I thought I knew what I was doing and I felt pretty good. You know, I kind of kept quiet at first. I didn't want to step, any, step on anybody's shoes, obviously, coming in there. Yeah. Um, but I just kind of observed what everybody was doing and how they did it and um, and kind of jumped in from there, you know, kind of, you were, you were kind of like, I mean, the brewing department, the brewing side of it was fairly small. I mean, it was you and another guy, uh, Kendrick and then, um, Mike, Mike Knipe, who was the brewmaster. Uh, I think I'm stepping on your story here, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, and so the, it was mostly energy and sodas and all that. And you guys were really kind of like making it happen on the beer side. Yeah. There was when I jumped in. There was five brewers actually, uh, including me, and uh, some of the guys were kind of old school. They had been there, I don't know, for years and years, and uh, they, uh, yeah, they kind of, I don't know how to say it, but eventually, I there was, we jumped up above those those brewers once we got in there. But uh, that's like that's a that's a perfectly acceptable way to say that you stabbed them in the back. Yeah, yeah. Turned them in. You planted contraband in their locker. I know about you. I read that. In the video. Well, it's funny because when we first started brewing there in, uh, in 08, I mean, you guys had not really dry hopped a beer before, I think. And so there was like it was fun to and this is where I have to you know this is where Joe and I became friends because I was, we were working in a brewery where they hadn't done some of those things before like adding spices and watermelon to beer and he Joe was the guy he was kind of like my mole there where because I was out in California but I would take a lot of frequent trips out there and he was the guy that would like hey you know we're gonna do this I mean I don't know what do you think about it? there was a lot of like 
uh, do you want to, how do you want to do this? And a lot of back and forth in that regard. So it's super helpful in that regard. So your craft experience, you know, at Ram and also American Brewers Guild really came in handy in that part. I, you know, the ability to brew on a large scale like that, that and, and in a company that had never really brewed that way. Hmm. Yeah. So he put the partner in partner brewing for you. He did. He's yeah. my partner, JB. Yeah. What was what was the vibe like, Joe, when Sully came in there? This, here's this highfalutin kid from uh, from San Francisco trying to come in and talk to you guys about brewing beer on a large scale. Was anybody? I thought it was amazing. I, okay. I was I was all for it. Um, I think I think uh, like some of the other people, they were like, "Oh, this this little brew pub wants to come and can some beer, and <laughs> you know they want to come up." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome. Let's yeah." what they're about you know they let's see what their recipes are about and um well, you, I, go ahead sorry no yeah it was it was a really awesome experience trying cool. to figure out how to make some of those recipes work there on a system that was really not made for that so <laughs> it doesn't it, sound like it was, it was made for anything man yeah well <laughs> i'm just trying to get dirt on sully that's all I'm trying to well do. You, you can get all the dirt you want you probably know most of it by the yeah. way but um no, like when we first started looking for a place to brew, you know, we were calling across the country, say, you know, and looking for a, you know, we could, a brewery we could partner with. And what happened was I remember calling Mike Knipe up, who's the brewmaster who'd been there for how long? Oh, so, I don't even remember how like long. 40, been 50 years, whatever it was. Yeah. And remember I would say like, Hey Mike, I just called him up out of the blue and said, Hey, this is Sean from San Francisco. I got this brewery. I want to bring my, our, I want to use our own yeast. I want to bring watermelon juice. I want to put spices in our, you know, and it's, you know, dry hop. And he was like, Oh, and you have to know Mike and most Midwesterners in that area who are wonderful people, by the way. Oh yeah, we could do that. We could do that. And so totally like let, you know, like sort of lit the, the, the light on the whole thing. Uh, and was able, we were able to go out there and essentially just start brewing. And it was guys like Joe and Kendrick and some of the other brewers there that were able to sort of really nice. make make it happen. I mean, yeah. wild stuff went on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so how long were you at uh, Cold Spring? I was there until, so I think I started in 2005 and left in the summer of 2009 for Peastree. That's a long haul, man. Yeah, that's a long haul. Did did Peacetree, uh, you know, find you, or are you looking to to sort of branch out a little bit and kind of plant some roots? No pun yeah. intended. <laughs> you know, I actually had a I had a pretty good position up there at Cold Spring. I was I was doing quite well. Yeah. Um, but we just didn't have any family in Minnesota or near there, yeah. and we had two young boys, and we were traveling a lot to see my folks in Chicago, my wife's folks in Iowa, and we saw that this brewery was going to open in Knoxville, Iowa. And so my wife's like, you need to, you need to apply to there. I'm like, all right. Yeah, with her family, not yours. Right. And you're her <laughs> parents, not yours. Right. Okay. All right. And it's still, and it's still closer to Chicago as well. So it, okay. it, it worked out both ways. Yeah. And my sister was living in, in Des Moines. At the time. <laughs> both Des Moines. Damn, Des Moines. dude. That's cool. She has two so so it, it, it got me closer to my family as well. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, that's the main thing, man. You got you know, you're moving for your job, and then your second move is probably just more for your family. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's pretty good. And and uh, Megan and her her family were great. They, you know, it was me and her father and and Scott Ziller. Um, they were so nice. They were they were great. They were they were they were amazing people. You could tell like right away it was going to be it was going to be a good change. Okay. So. But they took you on because you, you essentially applied for a job. Is that right? 
Yes. And so, and this was a brewery that hadn't existed before. So you had to build this brewery. Yeah, there was, there was no brewery. So I was coming on as head brewer to help start and supply the brewery. Oh, geez. Buy all the equipment and everything. So we started from scratch and I went there for the interview. Um, you know, they had the building and it was just a shell of a building at that point. And they just okay. brought me over for the interview and they, you know, I had the interview and they're like, we'll show you the building. And we walked in and they're like, what do you think? Do you think we can, you know, make this, make this the brewery? And <laughs> I was like, yeah, we, I think we can make it work. Uh, see, that would freak me out. No matter how much experience I had, like they would turn around and look at me and they'd see a JP shaped cloud of dust. <laughs> like, no, I can't. There's no way. Cause I've heard, I just heard too many stories, too many horror stories on the show about how, like how heavy that, you know, the crown is essentially to like, yeah, build us a brewery, please. I, I, I don't know. You're, you're, you're a better man than I am as far as that goes. We'll see if so, we'll see in any other arena, but you know. So Joe, how did you do that? Did you, I mean, you know, that is kind of, you hadn't done it before. Uh, yeah. Did you just go, yep, we got it. And then went home and threw up. I and mean, what'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> no, we, you know, we researched different, you know, brewing equipment. Um, there wasn't a lot of used equipment at the time. And um, the owners at the time, they, they wanted new equipment. They didn't want to have to keep fixing things. So I started looking at, you know, JV Northwest and a couple other companies. And uh, we tried to scale it to the size of the brewery, you know, to the size of the building. So, you know, what we tried to figure out, you know, hey, what, how can we maximize this space with the right size system? And we came to the conclusion that a 20 barrel system, we could probably maximize the overall space, you know, uh, overall. And so that's how we started um, based on that. And then we brought, you know, we, we decided on JV Northwest at the time, and then they brought somebody down and um, we kind of scaled it out and made it work um, for that size building. That's a good uh, we, had to, we had to really change the dynamics of it because they wanted like the brew house kind of up front and you know visual coming in but just based on having a silo we couldn't have a silo out near that brewery so we had to reconfigure the way the brewery was set and actually put the brew house in the back corner Hmm. where we could have a silo where it all made sense and kind of flowed a little bit better around the room Um, so it went from brewing fermenters right next to it then across from there you know you got your bright tanks and then coming out, you have your packaging line and then the cooler. So we kind of had it going in a circle, a flow through the building. And that seemed to work and make sense for us at the time. Yeah, it seems like every like any sort of new project, we were certainly guilty of that. Like you want to you want to do this sort of showcase, you know, opportunity. You want people to see when they walk right in so they know where they are and, you know, show the brewery up front at least. And eventually it's like put it in the back <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, the seats are what pays for the bills. So, you know, pays for the bills. So it's like, you know, we, we certainly had like some really grand schemes on second street about how to, uh, how to do that as well. So I completely get it. Hey, I'm just curious, like when you were like uh, getting involved in this project, what was the scene like in Iowa in Knoxville, especially in terms of craft beer? It, it, I don't imagine it was very robust there. Did you, I mean, what happened? That, that's actually a really good question because when I moved in at the time, when I moved to Knoxville, Iowa had a law where you can only brew up to 6.25% alcohol. Oh, wow. You had a cap. And so it, it kind of limited, you know, the Iowa breweries and what they could brew at the time. And so there wasn't, there weren't a ton of breweries. There were, 
you know, probably maybe like 25 or 30 breweries, you know, mostly brew pubs, you know, less than a handful, less than you can count on your hand, uh, breweries that packaged at the time. And so we were coming into it pretty, pretty new, right when things were starting to take off. And, uh, right when we opened the doors, um, we knew the law was going to change to 15% alcohol. And so that really opened the doors for styles that weren't actually available for breweries at the time. So it was, it was a perfect, it was perfect timing for us to open up a brewery. Um, you know, breweries could bring in from out of state high alcohol beers, but the Iowa breweries were really that's weird. Stuck just brewing that's so, that's so ass backwards. Yeah, like yeah. you can you can bring it in, but you can't brew it yourself. That yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. But that's a distributor and, law. <laughs> once once you know once they saw that that was an issue, um, the law changed pretty quick, and uh, with with help from some of the guild uh, people, which is kind of funny, our guild at the time was just a handful of breweries that would would be there. And now there's, you know, 125 breweries or so here in the state. So it's, God. it's been awesome to watch that grow. Yeah. We used to go to a meeting and it was literally like one table. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what'd you guys bring? Uh, we brought yeah. these beers. Okay. What are we going to talk about? Uh, well, these beers. These okay. beers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, right. it's so cool to go to, uh, to a meeting now. And there's just so many people. It's just, it's just great to see it grow and nice. uh, the way it's expanded over the last, you know, 11 years here yeah that's cool man i like it you you're, you're getting at the ground floor of a scene basically and yeah just yeah. help kind of push it so joe are you like the big man on campus so you go to these guild meetings and they're like hey that's joe kessley right there he started this whole thing. <laughs> i wish i wish that was the case <laughs> or like uh sir can uh, just a round of waters please <laughs> uh, everybody's great I, Good. everybody's so fun to hang out with here it's it's just a lot of fun when you see everybody nice yeah, I like that. Uh, well, we're going to jump into your beers here in just a second, Joe, but i got to take a quick break. So uh, everyone, stay tuned. We're talking with Peace Tree Brewing Company from Knoxville, Iowa. It's the she- the Beb yeah. It's the session. We'll be right back. You're tuned into the session. Because life's too short to listen to crappy radio. All right, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. It's the session. We're talking with Joe from uh, what's everyone? Laughing? I don't even know why I'm Joe, laughing. I'm Joe laughing because Kestalute. Laughing. It's Kestalute. I know. Read the card. <laughs> Thank you. Jeez. Uh, from Peace Tree Brewing, Knoxville, Iowa. I'm about to have some beers, Joe. And what should I start with? I'm assuming the uh, cold brew coffee stout, right? That's what the first beer I should. Ooh. They might ruin your palate for the next ones. <laughs> yeah. And you um, might be up all night. Well, you're going to be up all night anyway because of your wife's bird hand. Up all night. Yeah, I went to go check on her. She's fine. Is she? Can she yeah. come out and say hello? No. I, didn't, I knew that was going to no. happen. Nobody can talk to my wife but me. That's the rule. <laughs> okay, Pence. <Yeah. laughs> uh, the Blondale, I'm assuming, is the first one up. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect one to start with. All right. Tell me about this one here. So that one... So right when the law changed that I was talking about earlier, um, when the law changed to 15%, it was about, it was early spring uh, when this happened. And so I wanted to produce a high alcohol beer um, that was a little bit lighter in color, a little bit easier drinking, uh, but had a nice flavor to it. And so I used the uh, Belgian yeast and uh, decided to do a Belgian style blonde. Blonde fatale. Eight and a half percent. Okay. Eight and a half percent. A Belgian style Blondale. 
See, at first I saw it and I was like, oh man, a blonde ale. I love it. And check then, out those those bottles. No, the bottles. Are, yeah, they're little like yeah, the little stubbies. Um, I love the branding on it. The the, the colors are nice and and uh, they they pop. The uh, bottle cap is nice. It's a it's a nice little uh, package, man. Seeing feels that good the, in your hand, doesn't it? It really does. We actually won a gold medal at World Beer Cup in two thousand. Oh, hey, all right for that beer. So. Oh, that's delicious. I remember seeing you go up on stage for that one actually. <laughs> That's real good, man. You got a you got a really nice uh, you got a really nice thing going on with the um, with the yeast and the phenols uh, mixing together well with the with the malt. It's uh, you know usually those can sort of be pokey. I feel like this beer style you can things can poke out and be weird, but this is it. not. This is very <clears throat> it's very smooth. And yeah, easy, I think it works really well drinking, with the percent man. of alcohol that's in there. Yeah, at eight and a half, so it it's kind of well balanced for eight and a half. Yeah, it really is. It's it's maybe a little too smooth because I feel like uh, I just want to finish this glass. Yeah, Load loaded. Well, it's <laughs> the first time we put it on tap. It was pretty funny. I was out doing a uh, a tasting, and uh, we had just put it on tap. And I came back from this tasting. And it was already evening already, and we got in the tap room. And I looked around. It was super loud in the tap room. <laughs> Everyone just had. I could tell everybody had you know just a a tulip pint of blonde patel and i was like oh my god everyone's drinking blonde patel yeah and you can definitely tell at the time you get loud nights man <laughs> come get loud at peace dream i don't even think it was called blonde patel yet at that point mm. i think that's what that's what helped <laughs> so do you do you brew a lot of belgian styles or, or why did you choose a, a belgian blonde um you know i've always i've always been partial to belgian beers so um my last name is Belgian, so I kind of kind of went with the flow on that, and I I really like saisons and just all all the Belgian styles. And so, yeah, um, when I first came on, I did a nice saison, uh, and then that one was the next one that I brewed after that. That's great. I like it a lot. What year did you say this? Uh, you you first made this? Uh, I made that one, I believe, in 2010 for the first time. Right. I'm going to pretend like I have the beers here, too. Yeah, you really should. Oh, yeah. This one's good. Yeah, it's a good one, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I can smell the hoppy. Uh, you know, Have you made many changes over the years? Because it's also a style, if, if you're anything like me, and I hope you're not, um, you're, you're, you're easily uh, swayed by the amount of grains that you can put in or the different kinds of grains. So for me, I'm always like, I want to tweak this. I want to change this. I want to do this thing. For me, it's very hard to land on a beer and go, okay, that's it. Yeah. I'm never going to touch it. I do. I do with a lot of styles. But this one, I don't touch. This one, okay. I felt was pretty good as it was, and I don't mess with that one. <laughs> See? <laughs> I knew you were better than me. I'm telling you. That's very good. I like it. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, what's the grain bill? Would you mind just... You don't have to give us like the um, recipe, but what you know, what kind of grain is in here? Uh, it's mostly pale two-row and um, a little bit of Munich. A little bit of small Munich. Small amount of Munich. All right. What about your hops? I imagine just the standard... Hops, um, Asturian Golding and Celia. Mm. I love that hops. Slovenian hops. Celia. I feel like I've I've heard of that. Is that relatively new? No, it's basically an offshoot of uh, Styrian Golding. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, Styrian Golding was probably one of the first hops I fell in love with at Triple Rock. I remember like Grant Johnson from Marin coming over. This is an old time brewer, and he had these hot plugs, these Styrian Goldings. <laughs> he goes like, and he was from the Midwest. He's like, they smell like orange marmalade, and I was like. <laughs> And I was like a young brewer. Well, not so young, but a, brewer, a new brewer. And uh, I was like, my God, he's right. 
and I fell in love with them. I love that hop. <laughs> what an amazing thing. Called Darien it. Golding, orange marmalade. What a way to sell it. <laughs> it worked on you, man. We would dry hop uh, casts with it. It was great. I love that. How are you using that, Joe? Uh, we're using it in the bittering hop and then uh, in Whirlpool. Are you dry hopping this beer at all? We do not. No. Uh, you might want to try using Styrian Golding. I'm just saying. I mean, it's a million-dollar recipe. This is a $2 million recipe right wow. now. <laughs> When's the last time you had an opportunity to double your profits? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to look this gift horse in the mouth. Yeah, I think it's cool, man. Have you been doing the uh, the stubby bottles long? Yeah, we we did started out with the stubbies. Um, when oh, okay. we started, we actually wanted to do cans um, back in 2010, early 2010. Yeah. And back then, you know, they didn't have the shrink wrap cans. They didn't have mirror we pretty small at the time. And so we're like, uh, do we want to buy 95,000 printed cans <laughs> of each of each variety? I don't I think it's going to work. So we're like, all right, well. Let's go back to bottles. So we, we were looking at bottles. We're like, oh, we don't really want to do a long neck or a heritage bottle. Yeah. And we're like, man, that, that red stripe bottle is pretty amazing. And so we're like, let's see if we can find something similar to that. And we finally did. Nice. And it took us a while, but uh, it, it's been great. Yeah. What's the supply been like trying to get that? I mean, is that, uh, is that a difficult <laughs> bottle? I'm sorry. I, I kind of knew the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the blood r- just we, rushed out of your probably, face. I think that's our fifth bottle changeover um so we got them from i think guatemala at first wow and uh it was great when we were smaller we were able to to get enough supply but as we grew we quickly realized they didn't have the supply chain we needed to you know to grow and so we had to find another bottle and we finally found another company and uh i believe it was the second one was a german bottle and um that was great. The supply was getting good, but then the price was going way up on them. And so then we were like, all right, how are we going to, you know, what else can we do? And we started looking around and we finally had another company actually design a bottle for us that had our uh, logo embossed on the glass. Oh, wow. And uh, that one was pretty good for a while as well. And then, but it was still, it was still pretty expensive compared to your, you know, regular heritage or long neck, you know? And so, we finally switched over. We found another bottle that was actually even better. And then finally we just changed over probably about a month ago (laughs) (laughs) or so and found another bottle that's uh, more reasonable and it's made in the United States. So awesome. USA. (laughs) Yeah. And and, you know, when you have a specialized bottle, you need special six packs, you need special mother boxes. Your filler has to be set a certain way. And so the owner's like, Joe, look, man, come problems. on. Yeah, I understand you want the stubby <laughs> bottles, but can we just not, please? But now, now you're invested. Now you can't change. You can never but was change. That it. Was that your idea, Joe, or was it theirs? Um, it, I think I brought it up, and I think everybody kind of together liked it, and we rolled with it. I think it's great. Bottle, I think it's great, too. I mean, yeah. it's really unique. I mean, you don't, you don't see that bottle in the market a lot, so it stands out. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, I think it's worth marketing wise to spend just a little bit more on that. So I think it's paid off. Great, that's great. Yeah, I, I I'm loving this beer, man. It's uh, you know I keep going back to it. It's the 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 peppery's there, the spicy's there. It's like a coriander thing coming through too. Um, that malt's not super oversweet. It's uh, you know it's it's a little bit lighter, and so I think it focuses more on those kind of phenols, uh, which is really the showpiece for for the style of beer, anyways. 
Um, but some of these beers can be overwhelming. I don't say cloying, but they can be just a little bit heavier. And then for me, that spiciness becomes a distraction, not a showcase. So I, th- I think we wanted, you know, we, wanted the, we wanted the yeast to shine on that beer and yeah. let it do all the flavoring for us. Well, it, it smells great. It tastes even better, man. What yeast are you using? Uh, we're using uh, 1056. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Homebrew. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we use uh, Y yeast 1214. Which one is that? That's uh, Belgian Abbey yeast. Belgian mm-hmm. Abbey. Okay. Kicks out some good stuff, man. I'm just taking notes right now. It's fine. Keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> what was the spice load again? No. I'm just... <laughs> um, all right. What should we tackle next? I mean, I just opened the blonde uh, because uh, honestly, I didn't really read the. Hey, Joe, did you send any of the canned beers? I didn't. He no. Did okay. Well, I'm going to open a canned beer right now from uh, Peace Tree. This is their Berry Craft uh, Hard Seltzer. Oh, you doing seltzers? Yeah, yeah. All right. How's seltzer going for you guys? Uh, seltzer's been doing well. I imagine yeah. it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's it gives me a chance to kind of play around with different stuff that I normally wouldn't put in a beer. Look at that. So, yeah. What, super clear. Yeah. <laughs> seltzer water, dude. Come on. It's hard to make. I got to tell you a funny Is it? story. So, oh my God. So, Joe and I. It's water and sugar. Hold on. Settle down. Just take a break. Go check on your wife while the, while the adults talk. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was, it's actually hard to make, you know, you, as a brewer, you're, you're kind of used to, you know, you're fermenting, uh, different sugars. So, um, when it comes time to do this, it's, uh, it's a whole new world. So it's funny because Joe and I actually really started like leaning into each other hard on like this project. Cause we were developing hard seltzers at the same time he was. And so it was just like this complete, like, this is what I'm trying this week. What are you doing? <laughs> so we had this, like, you know, this sort of trans state like you know discussion about how to make this stuff and it was actually kind of fun we had a good time with it okay well that's good man and and honestly it tastes delicious this is the first time i've had it i'm I'm a five percent alcohol it's well why is it so hard to make i mean you don't need to go through the whole thing because eventually we'll do a show on seltzer but what's what's the biggest it's just it it just doesn't ferment in the normal manner that you'd Mm -hmm. like you'd expect it to like so you sort of dive into it like well i'm just going to use my regular you know ale yeast or whatever and i'm going to try to make it work and and then you kind of get into a position where you're like well i'll load it up initially with a bunch of yeast nutrients and that seems to work but it doesn't really work because it takes 29 days to finish out just yeast isn't used to metabolizing straight dextrose or whatever you're using and so then you have to pivot and use a different yeast strain and different yeast nutrients and you know, handle it, you know, maybe the fermentation's a little bit different. And um, yeah, it's... Uh, so it's just, it's fermentation management more so. Fermenta- than, it's than 100% fermentation okay. management. Yeah. And you're like, and then you think about repitching it. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't work. So Joe and I would talk to each other all the time. Like we were like tracking each other's fermentations. Like <laughs> mine's at nine right now. What's your, this is Plato. What's yours at? Oh man, I stalled out at eight and a half. I'm going to I'm repitching. I'm like adding nutrients. We're rousing it. We're just doing all this shit. <laughs> it was fun. It was a good challenge. It's it's. I like trying to fix beers. It's it yeah. was good, and yeah. it tastes. It honestly, this is the first time I've had your seltzer, uh, and you sent it back. You sent it to me a while back, and it tastes it tastes delicious. Thanks. Well, there you go. Actually, and we actually got one to ferment down to uh, almost fifteen percent alcohol. So, <laughs> right, possible. What what flavor was that? That's your that was, winter that was one, a cranberry right? Cranberry one. Oh my goodness! We actually we actually put uh, cranberry puree in with it, and fermented it with the cranberry puree, and it turned out amazing. 
Really? And people obviously ate it up. I mean, it's 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 hard seltzer, but 15 we, we served it at just six ounce pour. So we, <laughs> we were careful of how we served it because it, it it would catch up with you pretty quick, not knowing it was, you know, yeah. 50% alcohol. Is that a package? Did you put it in a, in a, in a can or bottle or anything? No, it was just a one-time uh, all right, all right. Um, brew that we did. That's just probably smart. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Are you going to do it again? Um, Maybe, yeah. <laughs> all right. It sounds like it's more luck than skill sometimes when you're trying to handle hard seltzers. There's a good story about that one, too. We brewed it, and... Uh, just got done putting all the cranberry puree in it right when fermentation's, you know, getting ready to ferment. And I'm sitting in our tap room and I, I don't know if I was talking to a customer or what, but I was in there and uh, one of our brewers comes running into the tap room and he's holding the crossbar member of the door, man door. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, uh, uh, and I quick run back and the man door bolt broke and uh, it was pouring out the uh, man door. Oh. And luckily we had a bright tank right next to it that was ready. And we transferred whatever was left. So we lost half of it. Um, but we were able to save half. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> but it turned out amazing in the end. So yeah, this was a door on the fermenter that like the, the, the bolt broke or something. The bolt, yeah, oh, the bolt see. that holds the door right, uh, right. in place snapped. And it just came pouring out the man door. Um, luckily the man door was high enough to where we were able to gravity feed most of it to the other tank while it was still pouring out of the door. And then we were able to push it the rest of the way um, <laughs> there, but it was, yeah, we almost lost the whole batch. Oh man. We ended up saving half of it. So it turned out great in the end. It's, it's also more annoying that it turned out great in the end. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just well yeah. to replicate it, we have to drain half of this bath. Exactly. <laughs> we have to you have to break the bolt, and then we just have to. And then it's what you have to do, man. You I have think to put a you have to put a roll of copper in your pocket and stand on one foot, and then that's, it'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> I think sometimes being a superstitious brewer is like being in the Twilight Zone episode. Like, <laughs> well, you know, I woke up at six oh nine, though I got to do that again. Um, what should I open next, Joe? Uh, let's go with the uh, Orange Goza, the OG. Orange Goza, all right, let's do that. OG. Sully, you, you don't have any of this? Oh, see, I, I did I this the other night. Uh, I have cold in my fridge, and I have them you know, lined up here also, warm. I almost opened the warm one. Well, let's do that. Let's, that'll, be, that'll be fun to watch. Ugh, didn't go well last time. Oh, oh. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the Orange Goza. Uh, Orange Goza, it's a kettle sour uh, Goza. Um, so we, you know, obviously kettle sour it, but we actually use, uh, two different, uh, yogurt, um, strains in there and we'll let it sit for a certain amount of hours and let the pH drop to about a three, two, five. And once it gets to there, we, uh, we'll boil it, add our sea salt. And then we also add our, uh, orange peel in the boil with it. And then we also add uh, orange extract in the kettle as well. And we'll send it over to the fermenter, and we actually use a uh, Belgian yeast in that as well to ferment it. The Belgian yeast really likes the, the acidity in that. Oh, really? Yeah. It ferments really well with it. Yeah, the aroma is great. This is like a freshly peeled orange, like a perfectly yeah. ripe, you know, freshly peeled. That's great. 
I think you're saving JP's night right now after the uh, <laughs> earlier accident in the uh, kitchen. <laughs> hey, how is how is like, you know, Belgian beers can be kind of a little challenging if, you know, for kind of a new craft beer market. What's it been like for like Iowa? Was it I mean, was it a mature market? Was it did you have to sort of do a lot of education or what um, happened? let's say I would say right now there it's a mature market and everybody's pretty well educated. But when we first came in, I think, um, I think people were interested in the beers that we had because it was different than what they had had in the past. So I think, I think that really worked well for us in the market. And we tried to skew things off a little bit from the norm. So we had at the time, we had a rye porter at the time that was made with a Belgian yeast and that was really good. Um, I had an IPA that was a, uh, a Belgian yeast IPA. Wow. Wasn't, that wasn't a common thing back then. Hmm. And so I think, I think it was, it piqued people's interest a little bit early on because there were styles that people had never tried before. What was the, what was the big craft brewery in Iowa before you showed up? It was kind of like the, like the new um, Belgium of Iowa. Uh, Millstream at the time was probably one of the bigger ones that packaged. Um, they had been around for since 85, I believe. Um, so they had been around for a while. Um, trying to think of other packaging breweries, there wasn't there wasn't a very there weren't very many. Um, I think yeah. when we came out, there were a couple other packaging breweries uh, popping up around the same time, and so I think that same year, I think there were four other packaging breweries that popped up the same year, and so I think after that, there was only like five or six of us that were actually bottling. So, do you think it benefited you being in Knoxville and not in Des Moines? I mean, Des Moines. Sorry, I think, the joke's not going to get old. <laughs> I think for us, it worked out really well. Just, um, you know, because the, the owners were pretty smart. They they planned on packaging. And so being in a small town, the uh, capital needed to, uh, you know, buy a building and equipment in Des Moines was so much more than being in a small town. And this was their hometown. And they wanted to develop their hometown and uh, bring this beer culture into this small town. And I think it just really worked well for us. And the timing, I think, was great. Um, and packaging the beer, we could send our beer out, bring money back into the town. And it brought um, you know a lot of people from Des Moines to come into Knoxville that normally may not come into town. And so I think it, I think it worked out really well I think, for us at the time. And, and what's, even, this, what's the scene there? Is it students, university? Is it a big university town? Or is there... In Knoxville? This, yeah. Um, Knoxville is a small town, so it was about... 7,500 people-ish here. Um, it's a smaller town, but they have a uh, sprint car racetrack here, oh. and, which is really popular. They have actually, they hold the nationals here. And oh, wow. so the town goes from, you know, 7,500 to like 25,000 people, 25, 30,000 people. Damn, that ain't bad wow. for you guys, man. I love yeah. it. So it's, it's, it's pretty nice. At first, you know, you know, the race crowd, we didn't see a ton of craft beer people when we first um, opened up. But over the last five years or so, man, I see people every year, the same people coming back um, from New Zealand, from all over the place. They, they remember us and they come back and it's, we see a lot more um, um, race fans coming to the craft beer. So well, with that 15%. We actually have a lot of craft beer there now, whereas when we first started, it was hard for us to get our beer in there. But now there's actually a demand for craft beer, so much so that we actually have it at the race car track now, oh, which nice. is amazing. Yeah, that's great. Well, I feel like with fifteen percent hard seltzer, you're gonna have you're not gonna have any problems. <laughs> Race fans, man, uh, do me a favor, man. Tell me how you get this orange 
a flavor and aroma in this beer because it's it's pretty unique in the space. I've, I haven't really had a beer that tastes and smells like the, powerful like this. It's very, we, very clear, very fresh smelling and tasting. We, I think the amount of the orange puree that we ferment in there uh, really helps. And then the, the amount of orange peel that we actually put in there, we actually use sweet orange peel as opposed to bitter orange peel. And uh, I think that adds a little bit to it as well. Um, but the, uh, the concentrated orange um, that we ferment with um, actually adds a nice character to the beer. How much of it blows off during fermentation? Um, you know, the aromas and whatever. I don't know. It's, do you add any? Do you add any lot. post? Like, do you like? What's that? Do you add any post ferment? Do you like dry orange or whatever? No, um, it's mostly fermentation. Um, fermentation mm-hmm. and then the orange peel in the in the boil. Um, it doesn't it doesn't blow off all that hard. I mean, the fermentation for that compared to like the blonde, it's it's a much slower fermentation. I don't know if it's the acidity that's in there that kind of calms it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's definitely a little bit different than the way the blonde ferments when there's no acidity in there. Hmm. Um, but it, it, holds the uh, character really well. It's, it's very, very good. It's probably the best fruited goes I've had. Wow. It's, it's very specific and yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. And you know, you, you were talking about using the, um, like the yogurt extra or the yogurt, uh, you know, Johns or whatever. Yeah. Usually I can taste that. And it's like usually when that kind of stuff happens, when people use the, those yogurt additions um, or the bacteria, or whatever, for me, I get like a chalky, almost like a yogurt tasting thing. And maybe that's just my my head being really cool. Um, but I don't get that with I don't get that with yours. You know, we I wouldn't we, have known. We played around with a few different um, different brands of yogurt and different strains. Yeah. And we actually use a couple different ones. And they're they're very consistent from batch to batch. Almost the the pH will be exact each time from the certain amount of hours that we put it in, and it, it all depends on temperature as well when you put it in, mm. and so that contributes as well. Um, but the two the two strains that we use actually, or the two brands that we actually use, um, are very good and very consistent. So it makes a difference. We had to play around with that for quite a while. Yeah, well, you know, I've gone on record somewhere somehow saying that people should stop kettle souring uh, because it just tastes like fucking chalky yogurt. But I think you you can keep doing it. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> JP approves. Damn. <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know what that's gonna get you. Uh, you know. I mean, what might be contributing to that? You know, that you know, lack of chalkiness is also the fruit addition too. So. Um, yeah, well, it's it's like chalky, but it, it but it does have for me a lot of these calisars have a yogurty thing, and so it, maybe it is the fruit addition hiding. But I can taste some of the malt in the background also, like towards the it end. Might be, it might be it might be the Belgian yeast as well. The Belgian yeast kind of does something nice to it as well. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing, but but I don't. Uh, I'm I'm happy that that I have another bottle. Maybe I'll save it for you, Sully. Well, please do save something for me. <laughs> What's the uh, the ABV on this again? You told me. Um, that one's pretty low. I think it's uh, 5.25%. I love it. See, that's my wheelhouse, man. Yeah, phenomenal stuff. Is the is the market big for Goza? I mean, I know I know you know sometimes you you have your sort of regional styles and a lot of breweries branch out and and do fun things cuz, you know, at that your heart you're you're you experiment and you're a brewer, but uh, 
do people love the the gozas or what they do um i think when i first started making them um there wasn't a huge amount of people that were digging them but yeah um i would say over the last five years people are really getting into sours and they're getting more educated on what a sour actually is Mm -hmm. um what a kettle sour is versus a you know naturally aged with you know bread or um lactobacillus so it it the education has has gone a con, gone a long way here in uh, Des Moines. So nice. It's, it's, we've got a lot of fans of sour beers now. Good, yeah. It's so it's no longer just people wanting to get drunk. It's they want right. to they they come for a certain style or they see yep. a style on the board and they go, oh, that's what I want. I really love this whatever it is. That's good. Yeah, we've yeah, it's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah, I, I, and I always go back to, you know, I have this friend who who thinks he likes IPA, but he doesn't. He just likes the alcohol. And IPA is just <laughs> ubiquitous. It's everywhere. So he can just, that's what he knows, the style. Okay, great, let me just have the thing. But there is a difference between an IPA drinker and a drinker yeah. <laughs> who drinks IPAs, right? So I'm glad to see that, uh, that the education sort of like, uh, you know, cruising through. Um, all right, let's, uh, I think we're up for one more break here, uh, and then we're going to come back and I have the IPA I was talking about, and then I also have the cold brew coffee stout. So we'll break into those two, uh, and learn a little bit more uh, about peace tree brewing in Knoxville, Iowa. So far, uh, I like what I taste. So, uh, you guys should be, uh, you know, setting your sights on Knoxville here sometime in the near future. All right, hang on everybody. It's the session. We'll be right back. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. All right, thanks for sticking with us, everybody. We are here with Peace Tree Brewing Company. Joe Kestalut is back, and he's going to walk me through two more beers. Uh, now, Joe, the 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 beer dummy in me wants to do the coffee stout first, but then I'm like, eh, but the next beer is an IPA, so I just I don't know. What should I do? I would do the East Village IPA. Okay, IPA. Oh, yeah, that's a good beer. Let's try the cold brew now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, tell Is there me, coffee in that? <laughs> tell me about the uh, East Village IPA, Joe. Uh, East, Vill- East Village is a uh, it's an American IPA, uh, heavily hopped with uh, mosaic and citra. Um, a little bit higher IBUs, you know, kind of a West Coast-ish. IPA. I'll be the judge of that, if you don't mind. <laughs> Being on the hop coast, as I named it several years ago, and never caught on because no one cared. Well, it's um, it's great. It tastes really good, man. I like it. So you said mosaic and citra. Mm-hmm. And you, yep. do, you do some dry hopping, Solid I imagine? Hops. You do some dry hopping in this, I imagine? Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we, we've, uh, we're starting to shift more of our hops that are in the bittering editions, we're starting to yeah. shift those more towards the dry hop. You know, we we did yeah. already have a nice dry hop, um, but now that you know, I feel like bittering hops aren't aren't as great anymore. I'd rather utilize the aroma and flavor of the hops. So we're kind of shifting some of those hops that we were actually putting in the boil, yeah, and boiling for a long time, and we're actually moving those to the dry hop, and it's it's starting to uh, add quite a bit more to it. It's- um, especially this last brew we did. Not the one that's in your hand. We just did another one um, where we actually shifted more of that. We're we're seeing much better aroma and flavor in there. 
it's almost like the 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 flavor of bittering hops is gotten so good that you don't want to waste it on bittering. Right. Does that make sense? It's, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Sully. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Yeah, you know what? I I like this kind of IPA. For me, it's a little too malty to I wouldn't call it a West Coast IPA. Um but I, I prefer those kinds of IPAs. Like if I have to drink an IPA, I want it to be have a more malty backbone because a, a lot of these West Coast IPAs, and Sully, you should take notice, um, just taste like hop water to me, and I don't like Thank them. You. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but really, it's you know, and I, I don't drink them. I'm not an IPA guy, but when I have them on the show, sometimes they can just sort of be like one-dimensional animals. But yes, so I agree. I, I prefer a little bit of a malt kind of thing going on too, and I and, and you definitely have that, and, and I appreciate that. What kind of malt are you using? Um, two row, uh, a little bit of Munich. Um, that's it. Is that the same the same grain bill as the uh, the blonde sounds, fatale? Um, different different amounts though. Okay, um, sounds like, that sounds like my beer actually. <laughs> Stolen. <laughs> that, in fact, that's my recipe. Whoa. I think. You, you know you what? Stole just, that from me at Cold Spring. This God does taste it. like your beer. Honestly, I thought this was a whatever exact your recipe. Name is, IPA. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Is this sure your, better? What's your uh, number one seller over there at the uh, the brew pub? For me, yeah, or for Sully. No, yeah, no, I don't care about Sully. No one gives a show, shit man. about Sully. Yeah, I will monopolize as much as I can, but I will not answer that question, sir. <laughs> um, packaging wise, Blanc Fatel is our biggest seller. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's our that's our flagship beer. Uh, but in the tap rooms, it's whatever we're coming out with new is usually the top seller for the week. Okay, I feel like either. You're mistaken and no one tells you or you're lying to me. I can't first of all, I can't believe that your flagship is a Belgian blonde. In the middle of the country, in Iowa, a town of less than seven thousand people. It makes no sense to me. So I feel like I feel like your town and even your state are just they, they don't understand. Uh, I don't know what that means. Um, it's, that, that's great. It, I really do like hearing that there are drinking cultures out there <laughs> that don't just go for IPA is my, you know, whatever, or even pale ale. I love a good pale ale. Don't get me wrong. But I, I don't know, man. A, a Belgian blonde just blows blows my mind. And then what JP is saying is he loves Iowa. Everybody from Iowa, he loves them. <laughs> I really kind of do. Well, maybe, except that one person. Um, but and then so and then you're in your tap room. It's just whatever is new. There's no. It's whatever gets put on. People go, oh, I love that because they just the love blonde, your beer so much. The blonde is always up there, so it's always okay. you know, on the top yeah. three or so. And then our our pale lager is probably up there as well. Okay. And then um, usually our hazy IPA is up there. No, that's too bad. And then, uh, and then whatever seasonal, whatever seasonal beer. So we usually have another beer coming out though, yeah. like twice a month that we'll throw on tap. Great. So okay. Usually that'll be the top seller. Well, I like to see it, man. I think that's great. I really, uh, I really do. Let me dump a. Dump so what is? How does the hazy sell? Hazy sells well. Yeah. Of course it does. Because yeah. nobody understands. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but loggers, Iowans, Iowans, Iowanians. With an S on the end, yes. Keep going. Is it Iowanians? Do you do any loggers? I mean, besides your Iowa. pale logger, but Iowans, Iowans, right, Joe? Iowans, yeah, Iowans. Yeah. Yep. I like Iowanians, but that's just me. Um, do you guys do any loggers uh, besides the the pale logger that you just mentioned? Um, just a pale logger right now. What is a pale logger? 
I don't even know. Oh, basically a pilsner. Oh, really? Oh, see, now you're talking. That's my that's my number one favorite, man. And people like that. Probably a little it bit is. more robust, though, right? Not as much, maybe not as bitter. or It's not as bitter. I mean, it's a little bit maltier than than a pilsner. Okay. Than like a ger- the traditional German pills. Right. Okay. All right. That's good, man. I'd like it. All right. Let's talk about uh, the coffee stout, the cold brew coffee stout. So that one we developed with a local roaster. Um, his name is Brian Gum. He's he works at uh, Raw Street Roastery, and so we we had been in t- contact with him early on, and um, we we're working on a project with him to like maybe do some coffee at the brewery at one time. Yeah, and then I decided to do a stout, and I'm like, well, I want to put, I want to do a coffee stout, and so we wanted to use somebody local, and so I got a hold of him, and he gave me several varieties of coffee uh, to play around with. We played around with, you know, do we do a coarse grind? Do we do a fine grind? How are we going to put this in the fermenter? Are we going to put yeah. it in the fermenter? Are we going to put it in the boil? What are we going to do? And so it was, he was really fantastic to work with. He, he gave me a few ideas on some of the coffee beans that he really liked and thought would work well and what kind of roast it should be. And so we ended up landing on um, these Papua New Guinea beans. Mm. And yeah. he, he has a direct relationship with the, uh, with the family that's out there. So he knows um, one of the guys who brings it into Chicago, um, his family actually owns the plantation and so he kind of knows all those people really well. And so that made it even better. Um, but he, he came up with this nice medium roast coffee bean. And I didn't want to put it in the boil. I didn't want to get any of that harsh tanning character mm-hmm. in there. And I didn't want to do like a really strong brew of it and then throw it in the fermenter either. Because okay. that still will leave like a tanning character to the beer. Yep. And so we decided, well, let's put let's put the beans directly in the fermenter. Beans in the fermenter, yeah, um, for sure. But we actually um, will bake them again before we put them in the fermenter itself. So we'll actually get those beans hot enough to where there's no bacteria on them before we put them in. And so we'll put them in the fermenter um, at a certain temperature. We'll drop it to a certain temperature, and then we'll leave it in for – a certain amount of hours. So we've been putting in about a pound a barrel. Okay. You're being um, very vague intentionally. Why? I know. Because yeah, you, sorry. you spent a lot. Of, it's <laughs> Nobody fine. cares. Tell us the goddamn recipe. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. I just want to make sure that you're, you're being vague intentionally and not leaving anything out because you think it's boring. Because this is, this is a, 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 a topic that comes up frequently on this show is how to coffee? add coffee into, yeah, how to add coffee into your beers. And since we package it, you know, we need to, we need to find a way to, we, we decided we needed to bake them first uh, before we put them in um, just so they were hot. And, uh, so you put the beans in warm? We put them in warm. Yeah. Um, and that way, you know, it, it helps prevent any bacterial infection. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll leave them in there for a certain amount of hours. And then uh, from there, we actually we run it through our centrifuge, but we didn't want to run all those beans through our centrifuge because we leave them loose in the fermenter. We don't actually like put them in a sack or anything. Okay. Um, so we actually had to make, um, had to put a keg on there with a, it's basically like a yeast keg. So it's got an open top and it's got a side valve. So we run a hose through the side valve, 
And then we put a giant screen, a tube screen on top, and we run the beer through the keg, up through the screen to the centrifuge to make sure all those beans don't clog our, oh, our bowls and our centrifuge. <laughs> nice. That would be expensive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So it's always fun coming up with stuff to, uh, you know, make things work that normally you normally wouldn't, wouldn't work. Yeah. Have you, so, so the coffee roaster that you are using has a family who runs the plantation in Papua New Guinea. No, he, he knows, he knows the, the, okay. one of the gentlemen who brings it to Chicago. Um, ah. one of the suppliers, this one, the supplier actually has the family in Papua New Guinea. Got it. Okay. Has a plantation right. there. That's crazy. <laughs> but he actually came to our brewery and spoke. Um, we also have a brewery in Des Moines, um, a tap room in Des Moines. And uh, he came out to speak and he gave an amazing presentation. I think a lot of people don't know what actually goes into making coffee. It's, no. it's pretty amazing to watch. Yeah. Coffee and chocolate are, I think the, those, yeah. those two production levels are, are widely uh, unknown for a lot of people. I was thinking maybe if you, if, if you had more of a, a, a direct line, maybe what about using the coffee berries in some sort of beer? That might I know, be fun I've talk, too. But. I've talked about that before yeah. and it, I think it's hard to get, Get them here yeah. in a state that's actually usable and juicy. It. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have talked to him about that before, though. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, they'll degrade right away. I mean, that's the yeah. thing about it. I mean, we did a we did a coffee IPA with Pete's Coffee, and I mean, you're kind of describing the same experience I had, Joe, with our coffee with the with the Doug Welsh, the roast master at Pete's. I mean, it was like eye opening, like how this stuff is made. I mean, I mean, just in some instances just spread on the ground yeah, and then, you know, and the beans are turned by hand. And Mostly. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just wild. Even the amount of labor that goes into it is amazing. Yeah. It's insane for sure. Like even like working at Starbucks, even, even through the Starbucks filtration system, you get a five pound bag, you open, there's a rock in there sometimes. Yeah. Cause they're just on the ground. So that rock transferred all the way from Sumatra, all the way through the roasting process, all that kind of stuff. It's crazy. This is very good. Uh, I like the coffee flavor. I I really do think that the like beans from like like African beans or like Papua New Guinea, like those sort of lighter, the beans that tend to uh, be beneficial to like lighter roasts, like Ethiopian Yirgacheff, for example, um, Papua New Guinea, those kind of things. I think lend better for darker beer flavors because they have the sort of blueberry notes and maybe sometimes a lemony note or whatever with like a Yirgacheff or something, but. Um, this is very good. Yeah. So like when you were working with the, the coffee roaster, Joe was, I mean, did you play around with roast levels? Cause when we did ours, I mean, we roasted it way, we used Ethiopian supernatural, which has a blueberry kind of lemon note, like you talked about JP and we, but we pulled the roast way back. It wasn't even a roast that you would actually brew a coffee with. I don't think it was like 70 Agtron, which is like the way they rate oh, roasting yeah. levels. Who would so, do that? Uh, <laughs> Damn. No, I mean, on that note, it's like inverse. So actually, the lower the number, the higher the roast. Um, sure. So did you lower the roast down or did you did you play with it or how did you? We that's, did. that's actually a lot of fun to do that. Yeah, we we did play around a little bit. And I, but basically, I was going off of what he was recommending, you know, recommending at the time because he, he knew way more than I did about coffee. Um, so I kind of went by what his suggestion was. And um you know, we kind of went on a lower to medium, medium to lower roast down there, um, just to get the flavors that we wanted out of it. Um, we yeah. felt like if we went any higher roast, we would get some astringent bitterness out of it that we probably wouldn't want. 
Um, so we thought that that low medium uh, roast was the best flavor profile that we wanted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because otherwise those higher like fruity notes just get blown right out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can you can do it in a darker beer, but yeah, I think you need to pull back on those darker malts too, because yeah. you can get that kind of roasty, ashy thing with darker. Like I don't like I don't I don't do French roast coffee. I don't know if you're a French roast guy, but like I can't. I am. Keep, keep going. I can't do it. It tastes too much like an American stout to me, which are usually just ashy and weird. What kind of coffee do you like, JP? Um, I like a Sumatra, I like an Ethiopian Yerg, but like I like a medium, medium plus roast. You know, I don't like it too dark because it's just so maybe like a fifty Agdron. Yeah, sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, my Agdronoscope is down. It's in the shop, so I don't. I don't really know. All right, I'll come fix it when I come out and try that beer with you. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, what's the ABV on this uh, on this coffee stout? That one's six and a half. Oh man, that's nothing. I I would have sworn that it was a little bit higher because it is so sort of like rich and. Stouts can kind of do that, man. You, if you if you get a good one, which this one is, it, it kind of hide. I don't know. There's some that can hide the alcohol, but then some that pretend that there's more alcohol in them. Yeah. Which I appreciate because I don't like a whole lot of alcohol, but I like a lot of flavor. Deceptive is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. What'd you say? I like liars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had a question from the chat for you, Joe. Um, do you have any beers that use corn in it? Since you're from Iowa. We do actually. I've done a couple different beers. Actually, when I first got here, and the uh, brew system was actually being built, I was brewing on a little Sabco uh, oh system God, developing Sabco. recipes. Yeah, I haven't heard that name in years, man. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I was I wanted to do a saison, <clears throat> and you know, so most most farm laborers in Belgium, you know, brewed saison beers, and I felt what better way to do a saison in Iowa but to use local sweet corn. Yeah, and so. We did it. We did it in small batches at first, and uh, people seemed to really like it. And then we started bottling it. So we bottled. Um, we'd usually do a packaging run every year. And then this past year, um, I worked with another local farmer um, with his field corn, and we made a, a haze maze beer, hazy IPA with it, and uh, hmm. it turned out pretty well. Um, people okay. people seem to like it. Yeah, is that what's the beer behind you on that poster? You have a maybe. Oh, that's cornucopia. That's the uh, saison. Yeah, right on. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. How was the uh, the hazy beer with the the sweet corn? Did it uh, sell pretty well? People liked it. It did. Yeah, it sold really well. We just did a small batch. We did uh, about twenty barrels of it. Um, packaged a small amount and did a small amount of draft. Um, but it had it had a really nice character with like a London fog yeast. Okay. It really, when it was fermenting before we dry hopped it, it really had a nice silky, great mouthfeel to it and really nice corn character, okay. which I didn't think would come through, but it actually did. We used about 30% corn um, and it, it was really nice. And then once we dry hopped it, it, it just, it was a really good beer overall. Nice. Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Are you going to do it again? Uh, I'll probably do it again. Yeah. Nice. Um, here's another question in the chat. This is from Todd. He says, what style do you want to do, but the market doesn't allow you to go to market with it for whatever reason and why? So what, what style do you really want to do, but you can't and why do you want to do it? Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a sour guy. I like, I like, I like sour beers. And so, 
I like the process of using lactobacillus, um, botanomyces. Um, and we had our brewery in, in Des Moines and I was start, I was getting to the point where I was playing around with a lot of that. Um, but it's so hard to have enough of it to actually package it and do it consistently from batch to batch. It's so hard. Um, and I'm still going to continue to do some of those beers, but on a packaging level, it's, it's so hard to do and do it well. Um, you know, hats off to like new Belgium for producing a lot of great beers back in the day. And now, uh, doing some of those sours that were consistent from batch to batch. Um, but probably, probably some really nice sours. (laughs) Nice. I love it. Well, we were talking before the show, you, you have a Solora, uh, Solora, Solera project. We do. Um, I've been doing, I've been doing some spontaneous beers over the last three years where we actually work with uh, Bluegate farm, which is an organic farm South of our brewery. And so to kind of mimic, um, some of the beers in Belgium, you know, where they have the open slats and the cool ship, um, where they allow all the, you know, wild yeast from the fruit orchards to, to spontaneously ferment their beer. What we did is we got some mort over the kettle, boiled it, put it into a, you know, makeshift cool ship that had a lid on it. And we actually drove it out to this organic farm and we went in a particular time of the year um, where the fruit was just right. And so we parked it downwind from where all the fruit was. And so they had a bunch of raspberries. They had a bunch of ground cherries. Um, they had some huckleberries growing and we parked it downwind from right there. And I put us, we took this lid off. I had a screen over the top. So they also had uh, honeybees at the time, so we didn't want to kill other bees. So we put a screen over the top. That's nice of you. And uh, <laughs> we looked, we waited for 24 hours, went back, picked it up, put it in oak barrels, and let it spontaneously ferment. And it it didn't take long. I thought it was going to take longer than it did, but it took, I want to say, about 72 hours um, in a barrel. And I started. we put a blow-off tube out of the top of the barrel. And I started watching the bucket and, you know, I was looking and all of a sudden I saw a bubble. I'm like, oh, maybe it was a fluke, you know, maybe it's just changing temperature in the room. Sure enough, like 30, 40 seconds later, another bubble and it slowly fermented and it, and it actually took off. Nice. And then I was like, well, I found something that's going to ferment, but <laughs> well, the chances good? of it being like alcohol <laughs> tolerant are pretty slim. So yeah. I didn't get my hopes up too much, but sure enough, it was alcohol tolerant and it fermented all the way down. And then wow. I'm like, well, what are the chances that it's going to taste good, right? You know, it could be, it could be uh, vinegar, or it could be anything, you know. So, took a sample, and it was beautiful. It, wow. it was a big, it was a nice mixture of, I want to say, um, a white wine, a cider, and a beer all mixed together. So it was one of the best projects I've, I've started. And that was about three years ago when I did the first one. That doesn't sound good. But I trust that what you're saying is true. Like it, it's it, probably one of my favorite beers that I've made. It probably tastes like it, good, but I don't know. You have to send it to me, and then I can I can be the one to designate a taste. I will send you some. Wheel. I've got. Right. I think I have a keg left of the three year old uh, aged, and I also did a. Oh, uh, I also did a prop off that batch and barrel aged another batch off that prop, and um, that one turned out amazing. It's got a nice pineapple character. Um, nice and tart. Do you find it uh, changing at all between batch to batch? What's that? Do you find it changing from the first? It to the does. Second? At first, I didn't like it, 
Um, and I was going to dump it actually after a year. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to let it sit. And sure enough, a year later, it actually cleaned up and it was the, the, it, the pineapple came out in it and it was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's got just the right amount of tartness in it. It's not overly acidic. Um, it just had a nice clean tart, almost like cider character to it. Better than the first? Um, I would say the same, but different flavor profiles. Okay. All right. So the same on the, on the wow scale. Right. <laughs> but and, okay. then, and then I have one that's two years old. That's almost identical in flavor characteristics to the first one, yeah. which I never thought would happen. And then I have one that I did last year. Same thing. It has the same, same profile, um, which is pretty similar to the first two you that I did. So I want to take that program and actually turn it into a Solera program. Um, take some of that wild yeast put into a larger tank, pull half off, put it into barrels, fill it back up with wort, let it keep fermenting, do a continuous fermentation uh, throughout the year and see how it, see how it um, evolves and changes throughout the year. You don't want to like drive your truck out with a big pan in <laughs> the middle of a raspberry field every time you do this? <laughs> uh, no. Are you going to like uh, no. uh, culture any or, or bank it at one of these yeast farms or whatever? Or? Um, I wanted to do that off my first one and I just never got around to it and I waited too long. Mm. Um, so I think, I think when I do it again, I think I'm going to try and send it in and see if we can, uh, bank it. Yeah, man, you should. That sounds great. See what's in it. You're onto something, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the challenge of doing like uh, the Zoman fermentation spontaneous is that, you know, people just assume they can make this cool ships and just like, all right, whatever falls in, falls in. But (laughs) there's a lot of luck that goes on with it. So it sounds like you landed on something. Yeah, they have something great there. So nice. That's good. Yeah. Good well, I look forward you. to hearing about it, man. That's pretty cool. All right, Joe. Well, hey, man, if there's if there's nothing else, we'll let you we'll let you go. We'll let you get out of here. All right, man. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate it. The beers were all great. Uh and a good time talking with you. And and thank you again for for sending in the beers and, and being willing to take a little bit of time out of your night to to talk with Sully and I, you know, talking with Sully is a, a stress and a strain, but, um, <laughs> well, you got your, the beer judge guy here. I mean, That's every right. bottle you open, is like, is he wow, going to like it? So <laughs> well, I don't know. You never send me beer, so I don't know. I don't, well, maybe there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. I, I got it too good. Anyway. Uh, thank you very much. Joe. Fun. It was a lot of fun, Joe. Good seeing yeah, you. Yeah, Thanks for having me guys. It was good seeing you, Sully. Yeah. Joe Castellute, Peace Tree Brewing Company. Uh, Joe, how can everybody get a hold of your beers or, or just a little more information about your brewery? Uh, we have our brewery in Knoxville. We also have a tasting room in Des Moines and the East Village. And you can get most of our beers at all the liquor stores in Iowa, most high bees, um, nice. fairways. So, yeah. Excellent. All right. So go pick them up, check them out. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks a lot for joining us. This has been the session. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, stay safe. Uh, have a happy new year, everybody. And uh, we will see you on the other side of 2020. And uh, I, for one, can't wait uh, because 2020 has been a great year for everybody, I'm sure. <laughs> all right. Anyway, Sully, thanks a lot. I yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much yeah, for having me thank here. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, we'll see you later. Thank you. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Justin's in my sky and winning the race. JP does great as his charity care.